0: the cartoon The Jetsons? How everything seems so futuristic? And while we're still a ways away from flying cars and having Rosie the robot clean our houses and wait on our beck and call, the future is here and it's incredible. The Jetsons released their first episode 60 years ago back in 1962. Back before the internet, back before cell phones, back before 8-tracks, CDs, VHS tapes, or DVDs. Before fax machines, and way before we had the ability to bank your stem cells and cryogenically freeze them for future use. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, no matter your age, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Dr. Drew Taylor is here to talk to us about the exciting future of medicine. But before we get to that, I want to invite you to join my 21-day fat loss challenge. This starts Monday, April 18th, and first prize is 500 bucks. The winner will be determined by a combination of the best transformation as well as the most engagement. Now, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know I am not a fan of crash diets or any kind of extreme dieting, but Rather, I want this to be a fun community-building event where you get the tools and tips to jump start your healthy, long-term journey to your ideal body. I'd love to have you join in. The easiest way to register is to head over to my private Facebook group, the Over 50 Lean Body Blueprint, and register there. But you can also just send me an email at coach at SilverEdgeFitness, and I'll send you back the registration link. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Dr. Drew Taylor. Drew is the co-founder and CEO of Acorn BioLabs, which is a company specializing in helping people preserve their own cells to help them prepare for future needs. Drew was a standout collegiate athlete and professional baseball player, but ultimately got his PhD in biomedical engineering and now leads the charge to bringing accessible, non-invasive and affordable live cell collection and preservation to everyone. Join us this week as Drew shares how he went from a baseball player to CEO of a biomedical startup and why people like you and me and our children and grandchildren should consider banking ourselves today for a healthier tomorrow. I started our interview by asking Drew how he got interested in this technology.
1: Actually goes pretty far back. I was pretty lucky that my dad was a physician and, and working actually as a, a GP but also had a sports medicine practice so I got introduced to healthcare and medicine pretty early on and uh, my father also had an athletic career before then was a professional baseball player so I, I completely followed in his footsteps and, and played baseball myself but also always was focused on, on going into medicine. Grade seven was my first real introduction to it. And we were part of this science fair at school where you had to pick some kind of mechanical object and break it down and essentially explain how it worked. And um, I chose the total knee arthroplasty, which is a, a fake knee. And so I ended up going into the OR, watching a surgery, and that's what I presented for this big science fair school wide and fell in love ever since.
0: Wow. So in, in the seventh grade, you did that?
1: Yeah. You actually got yeah. to
0: witness a, a knee surgery and then go in and tell your classmates about it? And all yeah.
1: That? I mean, look at it, this is going back a few years, right? So I don't know if you'd, you'd be doing those things today. But back then uh, we had, I guess, some protocols in place that allowed f- for people to be able to to see a surgery. And, and so I ended up being in the OR, obviously keeping a fair distance, but could see everything. And, and so from that moment on, and it was Finally, funny, my brother actually ended up coming along for the same experience because, you know, there was the opportunity to do this and we had very different reactions. So we went back and, and my dad, who's obviously a doctor, said, well, boys, what do you, what do you think? And for me, uh, I was like, I'm hooked. I'm in. This is what I want to do. I want to be a doctor. And my brother said, you know, I'm thinking lawyer.
0: <laughs> okay. Right on. Yep. Two different takes on that. Okay. So now you had mentioned that your dad was obviously a, a doctor and a baseball player. I, I believe he was a, a pretty well-known baseball player. Is that right? I mean... Yeah. He had a yeah.
1: fantastic career. You know, he played in the major leagues for 11 seasons. Yeah, I was part of wow. two world championship teams, the 1964 Cardinals and the 69 Miracle Mets. So a, a yeah. really famous team. He was a closer. They didn't call him closers back then. You know, just they were all relief pitchers, but but he led the team in saves in in 69 and and yeah i mean was really just had a, a fantastic world class career in in uh, professional baseball so
0: yeah that's awesome. that's really neat that you got to grow up with that so now you mentioned that you're going to follow in his or you have followed in his footsteps talk to us a little bit about were were you always active as a kid obviously you had this science bent to you right
1: yep Yeah, I would say I was definitely dual focused. So I I played baseball, all all sports really growing up, but uh, really gravitated towards baseball and uh, ended up playing for a team. I was obviously up in Toronto, Canada. So I played for a team that represented Ontario, Uh, played a lot of games down in the U.S., actually playing against other statewide teams and at the high school age group. And so that's really where I got my exposure to kind of baseball at an international level. Ended up getting recruited and had the opportunity to go down to the U.S. on uh, on a baseball scholarship, which was really exciting. Went to the University of Michigan, played, and ended up captaining my last year the the Wolverine baseball team. Had a great career at Michigan. You know, won a top top pitcher in Michigan and and all region honorable mention All Americans. So I had a had a really great career, and then coming out of that, ended up having the opportunity to also sign professionally and play.
0: Okay so you had the opportunity to play professional baseball but here we are you're not known for being a baseball player today No no <laughs> what, what what happens where did we go from there did you take up the offer for to play baseball or I did. did you say you know what medicine is where I'm going
1: No I did so I I ended up working pretty hard on on the school side. And so by the time I finished my baseball run at Michigan, I ended up having both the masters and, and my bachelor's completed. I was in molecular cell developmental biology. So I was still very focused on, on following that path. And I had applied to medical school and I was going to go to medical school. I had been accepted, you know, and, and that was my next plan, but I did get extended an offer to sign professionally. And so I deferred my acceptance to medical school and sign and play professional baseball with the Toronto Blue Jays in the minor leagues. Had a first great, you know, first year, went great, had a good season, knew I would be getting invited back to spring training. And uh, so I very quickly applied to PhD programs. The The uh, MD programs would not let me do that in, uh, in professional baseball at the same time. So I, I wanted to make sure that I was keeping my momentum on my educational side, and they would, you know, allow me to, to do a full-time PhD Um, while playing so that was uh, that was a pretty cool opportunity for me so I started a PhD in biomedical engineering at the University of Toronto and was there in person during the off seasons but was still a full-time student so you know I was the the odd guy on the bus or the plane with the book open studying away and yeah I went back and forth doing that for a number of years ended up playing with the Phillies uh, as well in the minor leagues for a little bit but ultimately I ended up having an arm injury tore my labrum and uh, had some damage to my supraspinatus so really slowed things down. I uh, I lost a few clicks on my fastball and it was pretty evident that I wasn't going to bounce back from that injury 100%. So jumping that last hurdle into the major leagues was looking probably like it wasn't going to happen. And so at that point, I ended up returning to Toronto, finishing my PhD and, uh, and focusing fully on the healthcare side. Great experience. Yeah, Loved that well, I <laughs> it
0: is. I can certainly imagine. And I think that not everybody is as, you know, I, th- I think collegiate athletes, standout collegiate athletes that have a shot at playing professional sports, I think it's probably safe to say that most of them aren't majoring in molecular cell biology. Most of them aren't getting their master's by the time that they're out of school. And the fact that even when you had your shot at the big leagues, you're still keeping a foot in academia with, hey, I'm, <laughs> they won't let me work on my medical uh, degree while I, while I play baseball, but they will let me do a PhD in biomedical engineering. Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So you, you definitely had a pretty good fallback plan there. So now we haven't mentioned this yet. We mentioned it in the intro, but you are the CEO of Acorn Biolabs. So I suppose this is as good a place as any for us to talk about what is that and what caused you to get interested in this and get this company started.
1: Absolutely. So I think the first concept for me in my mind of what Acorn Biolabs is happened long before ACORN when I was working at University of Toronto and doing some of those initial experiments towards my PhD and then continued and and became very evident as I was collaborating with the Division of Orthopedic Surgery at Mount Sinai Hospital for this work. And essentially my role in this, this study was to translate some very successful animal studies been conducted into human models. And what we were doing essentially is trying to regrow cartilage. So take a small sample of a patient's cells, and use those cells to culture out sheets of cartilage that could one day be used to replace total knee and total hip arthroplasties. So instead of putting in metals and plastics, we can actually give a patient back their own cells. And that hopefully would be a lifelong solution. Arthroplastic surgery is very successful, and it gives people, if you ended up having your first one early enough in your life, you'll be in a wheelchair eventually, because there's just not enough bone stock left and things to support that implant. So giving a patient back their own cells is the opportunity to really deliver them a lifelong solution. They can respond to shear forces, stresses, you know, heal as well. So that was the goal, a big goal for this, this study. And my role was actually starting to work with human cells. And so what I learned very quickly is that ultimately it wasn't going that well. All of the studies in the human models were not performing to the level, not even close to the animal studies. And ultimately it really came down to age. When we were working with the animal studies, we were working with young, essentially teenagers, right? Like adolescent animals. And now we're accessing human cells at the time of surgery. So I was going into the OR, taking a biopsy of patient cells during arthroplastic surgery, bringing those cells back to the lab and seeing if in practice we could culture out these tissues. And so now instead of adolescent cells, I'm accessing patients that are at a point of need, usually on in years. and unfortunately are are feeling the effects of aging right and so those cells just were not performing to the same capacity so it was this moment for me where i really realized that if we want to fully capitalize on regenerative medicine and deliver this to patients in the future we're going to have to be intercepting that cell quality earlier in that timeline before we see the progression of not only age but also the disease state right osteoarthritis and other things And otherwise, you know, we're going to unfortunately be going to patients, you know, in the near future here and saying, look at these things have come to fruition. There's this amazing, you know, opportunity for you to leverage your own cells, but you're not a candidate. So we can't actually use it on you. And that is just a future that we weren't really willing to accept. And so there's a number of years that kind of transpired between that realization and ACORN forming. And I spent those working in in venture capital, but ended up during those years in venture capital, getting exposed to other groups that were making the same conclusions. And we ended up coming together and forming Acorn Biolabs to try to provide a solution today so that patients can really bank their own younger cells that have not experienced as much disease as down the road, so that those cells can be leveraged in these future therapies that are coming.
0: Okay. That, yeah, that's quite a story. And I want to get back to exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about banking cells and mm-hmm. saving them for a later date. But I do have a question before we get there. Why the name Acorn? Why Acorn Biolabs?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's, it's really the idea of, of tucking away that acorn and saving it and then being able to essentially have that grow into a full oak for you later. So it's really like the squirrel tucking away something for a later date.
0: Okay, yeah, and I figured you were going to go somewhere like that, but I just want to make sure we we'll just get that on the record here. Okay, so we're talking about cell banking, and that sounds very futuristic, or it does to me? Right? I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. to some people it probably doesn't. Well, I do it every day, so it's, it's, <laughs> you do it every. So this is technology <laughs> that's here now, right? First of yeah. all, yep. So talk to us what what's involved if I want to bank some cells with you. What's required of me?
1: Yeah. So ultimately, let's, let's talk about what banking is, right? So banking is essentially taking a small sample of your own cells and cryogenically freezing it. So we put it into liquid nitrogen, negative 190, lower than 100, negative 190 degrees Celsius. And at that temperature, cells stop aging. They stop all metabolism. They don't accumulate damage. They're literally frozen in time. So you have to get them very cold, right? This is not your home fridge or freezer
0: that's very cool Um, yeah
1: yeah and at that stage those cells then really are in this quiescent state frozen state where they aren't accumulating these things you're going on living your life and and unfortunately getting exposed to external damage and aging and, and disease and all of these things that progress but that sample of of your cells that is frozen does not and then that frozen sample can be unfrozen and then you have that time point locked in to leverage those cells throughout your lifetime
0: Okay, so that gives us a good idea of what cell banking is. You are going to collect these cells. Now, what types of cells are you looking for?
1: Yeah, so that's the really exciting part. Ultimately, if you look back, we've been trying to bank cells since the 1960s, right? And we've done it in research. We've done it for fertility. There's even a market for banking your umbilical cord cells when you have a a child. So the idea of cryogenically freezing your samples has been around a while people will bank bone marrow for certain things so what all of those really entail is a pretty either invasive procedure or a very one specific moment in time where you have an opportunity to bank cells that has probably already passed for most of our listeners today right they're not being born tomorrow and unfortunately don't have any options beyond that and only only options that you do have are extremely invasive extremely expensive ones So what I've been able to kind of witness and what I've been lucky in my career to see is the development of technologies that have allowed us to really take control of our own cells and use different cell types that we have access to and explore different cell types. And so what we really have focused in on ACORN is accessing cells non-invasively, so it's not painful, and obviously it's not as, as intrusive, so it's not as expensive. And cell types that really with all of these new technologies that we have to expand those cells, to reprogram those cells, to turn them into stem cells, be the appropriate cell type to use in those new technologies. And the exciting part is is our hair follicles are perfect for it. The hair follicle is this miniature little organelle that has multiple germ layers, so basically multiple types of cells, but it also has a really high percentage of adult stem cells. And so this, this cluster, this little tip of cells at the end of every hair follicle that we have is really an amazing resource for us to leverage. On top of all of those benefits, they are very good at expanding. So they can multiply in number and culture in the lab very easily. And we can also reprogram them so that for even further out into the future technologies, we can actually turn those hair follicle cells into pancreas cells, liver cells, and use those as plugins for some potentially, you know, very futuristic things cryogenics is not futuristic to me 3 d printing a human organ on demand is still a little bit into the future, but it is coming there's yeah. there's patients that have have been part of the first kind of wave of receiving an organ granted it was a bladder, so not like a a life dependent organ but there's been 3 d printed bladders that have been implanted into patients already today in the u s
0: Wow that's fascinating and now would this would this have been done with their own cells that they had previously banked or would this be from a different source
1: so most of the strategies right now are trying to get access to cells in that moment of need got it right Right. unfortunately a lot of the studies that we look at are targeting patients that are younger so one study that looked at regrowing skin from the very same cell types that we harvest they ended up only targeting people that were 40 and younger and so you end up having these kind of gates on on some of these initial works to try to like Make sure that we can be successful in those things. But if we want to open that access up to make sure that anybody is able to capitalize on these things as they age, because most of the time when we have problems, you know, it's after 40, right? Disease starts showing up. You know, I certainly kind of feel like getting out of bed in the morning. I'm not quite as spry. And so those things are going to catch up to us. And it's not going to be at the early stages of our life for the most part. For most people, it's going to be later. So, how can we make sure that they have an earlier time point to access those cells? So that's ultimately, you know, where, where we see this going is making sure that everybody has the opportunity to receive these therapeutics, not just, you know, the ones that still have young, healthy cells. So the general mindset is not on banking right now. It's, it's in the development of these strategies, just targeting, you know, patients that you can make this work for. ACORN's role in this, I think, is to open that up to make sure that everybody has access.
0: Gotcha. So now... The people listening to this, I'm, almost all of them are going to be over 50. And one of the things that pops into my mind is, and I suppose I'll never be younger than I am today. So now is probably the best time, but is it too late for me to bank cells in order to have this assurance for myself in the future? Is there, I, obviously, it would have been better for me to do this as a teenager, but. That didn't exist. Me me too. I didn't have So
1: Yeah. So ultimately, yeah. I I mean, we have two ways that you can look at this. One is just locking in the earliest possible time point, right? But it's also locking in a time point before you really get into the late stages of disease. Because disease is going to fast forward all of these things. We have clients that have banked their cells. I think our oldest client is 83. And the mindset is, I'm going to bank my cells at 83 because I'm planning on living to 93 at least. And my cells, you know, when I'm 93, are going to be much less capable than the cells that I have frozen down at 83. And so it's not only just the age as a number of when you're doing this, but also the difference in time, right? Because when you go to use those cells, you're going to have saved all of that time, even if it's five, 10 years down the road that you're leveraging these cells. There's certain metrics that we look at on what happens to our cells over time one of the big ones is the amount of adult stem cells that we have in our system and so we can track that and look at how those numbers change and they absolutely peak in our 20s and unfortunately for everybody it's somewhere in our 20s but they start to dip and it's a very arithmetic line right there's no curve to it but it keeps on dropping throughout our lives but sometime around the age of 65 depending on the individual but on average around 65 we see that really pick up pace so there is some moments of senses of urgency. If you are able to do this in your 20s, or you've got family members that are in your 20s that you want to make sure that they take the initiative, because let's be honest, most 20-year-olds are not really thinking about these types of things yet, right? You're still in that invincible stage. I've got three young boys at home, right? So we've all banked them, and it's not exactly that they were seeking out these things. But, you know, it the other kind of sense of urgency is really doing this before the progression of some of that acceleration in the aging process. But every year that goes by after 20, as well, when we think about some of the more immediate uses in skincare and aesthetics, every year that goes by, we lose about one percent of the collagen in our skin. And so, the earlier you you capture those cells, you know, the higher of uh, the higher ability for those cells to produce collagen and some of these things that they do so well is going to be preserved.
0: Okay, so I got just a couple questions here. You had mentioned a couple of times that you that the it turns out the human hair follicle is an ideal candidate for what you're doing here, and it just sounds remarkable, remarkable to me that you could use that cell in so many different ways. How are you collecting this, and where are you collecting? and is this hairs on my head, hairs on my body? Do yeah. I collect it at home? Do I go to a, a clinic to do that? How does that work?:
1: Yeah, so uh, right now you're going to a clinic to get this done. We've partnered with a number of clinics. We started up here in Canada because that's home base, but we're very quickly opening up areas across the US. And so it's it's coming very quickly to hopefully have everybody in the audience like have a an access point to go and get this done. You can actually sign up to a, a list to get notified of when it's available in your area. So for those that that want to be first to know, you know, just head over to acorn.me and you can find out where it'll be launching next. But you go to a clinic, very simple procedure. You know, you're in and out in 5 to 15 minutes, and we basically pluck follicles. So there's no surgery, no invasiveness. If you ever combed your hair and caught it for a minute, that's about the most, you know, annoyance that you're going to feel. And those follicles are plucked and collected, and then you go on your way, and that's it. Those those cells go into our uh, specially formulated media, and that allows them to really survive that journey from that clinic back to our lab, where we process them. Analyze and confirm their viability. Send a report back to our clients so that they know that this was done correctly. We even analyze the number of viable cells and and the hair follicles and and take pictures of them in our lab. Like it's it's a very intensive process that we're really proud of. And then they go into cryogenics and and you get a confirmation email back with some nice data. And then at that point, that's it. Like it's it's a pretty simple procedure.
0: Yeah. So you're you're literally a bank for these things now. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to you describe this, so you now have these cells, it occurs to me to ask who owns them? Who's the owner of these cells? And what about, say, privacy concerns, things like that? So now you've got some of my stem cells. I I would imagine there's probably some paperwork that goes along with this that says what Mm -hmm. you will and won't do, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about the... Am I, I guess, am I the owner of this or are you absolutely. the owner that we joint join own my cells no, together? No, absolutely.
1: We're we just the curators of your cellular content. So we're the safeguards, the keepers of them to do our best to make sure that you have access to your cells for the rest of your life. They're absolutely your cells. And we believe that very strongly. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of opportunities to, I think, extrapolate, meaningful pieces of information on our health and different things from any cells that we have. And there's some certainly interesting things that we can, we can learn about us, but we're not analyzing the cells. And so from a data data privacy kind of idea, that's not a a concern because we're not, we're not capturing data and holding data on your health or your cells um, that you'd be worried about getting out there. You know, the confirmation that we had done our job correctly and that your cells are viable is is really the most intense data that is being stored when you bank your cells. That being said, so we think about physical security, right? So, you know, we're the curators of your content and we want to make sure, just like a bank where you're putting your money away, that we're doing our best job to make sure that they're secure. And so our facility that we have has 24-7 video surveillance, four locked doors before you get to your cells, key card access that tracks who opens what door, when. It's, it's an extremely secure facility that we're, we're really proud of and, and provides a lot of physical security to make sure that your cells are there. The other side of it is making sure that you know that facility is also prepared for any kind of things. We're, I mean, we're keeping these cells down at a very low temperature, so you want to make sure you can maintain that. So we actually split your sample up and store it in separate vials. You end up having four vials, two of them go into one tank, and two of them go into another tank. And so because of the way that we've done this, we can actually create what we call alquats or just separating the sample into multiple vials so that you actually have redundancies in storage tanks, just in case there are any kind of crazy things that happen. But our facility is so robust that if you shut off power to it, when we weren't receiving any external power, we would be able to maintain those cells frozen down in that state for 30 days before we'd have to figure out any solutions around Around moving them,
0: yeah. And, and I've assumed that you would have some sort of a very secure environment, a very redundant environment, and probably mm-hmm. a generator that backs up the generator and all of that Absolutely. good stuff. It sounds like Absolutely. certainly you do. Okay, so let's just do a little thought experiment here. Let's just say that I met you instead of today, a year ago, and I banked some cells and I need them. What are things that I could do with my cells today? Let's say you've got my sample from a couple of years ago. What sort of applications are real time today that you could use my, that I could use my bank cells for?
1: Yeah. So most of the work that's going on in leveraging these cells is actually in clinical trials. So it would probably be you trying to access an opportunity to get included in a trial, which is not a very accessible, easy thing to do. Let's be honest, right? Like you're trying to navigate that space. And maybe some of your listeners have done that before. And then unfortunately have had something that, that they needed to do that. And they can attest to that that's that's a difficult thing to navigate, and it's very regional-based, right? So depending on where that study is going on, where those trial sites are located, it may be very hard to get access. So we try to do a very good job of being very aware of all of those trials and different things that are going on in the space. Most of the very immediate uses of these cells are going to be in skin care and even aesthetics, So there are trials going on right now, leveraging these cells to treat rejuvenated, rejuvenate your skin to actually use those cells to regrow your hair. So, you know, we we care about those things too. So that, that is absolutely a big deal. You can imagine the uses of, of reintroducing your younger cells to your skin in, in my work and in my life, not only do we see the benefits of having younger cells cultured in, uh, in whatever kind of media and, and whatever environment but we actually were able to demonstrate very clearly that a small population of younger cells influences older cells in that small area to perform younger. So you end up actually really like reinvigorating some of your older cells as well in that niche. So you can imagine the the effects of, of having your younger cells reintroduced. That being said, if you only bank them for a year, you're not that much older, right? So the the degree that you're going to benefit from these things is probably going to be one of those things that accrues over time. And uh, you you might not want to pull yourselves out a year later. That being said, there are some very exciting work going on right now in the rejuvenation side. And there are benefits that you could get even immediately. So we're we're excited for those things to come. And I think that we're going to start to see some announcements in the next year on the results of, of some of those those works going on. So probably mid next year you can start to see some of those things percolate into to hopefully mainstream. That being said, I think that as patients, we have to be a little bit patient with these technologies. And people ask me all the time, like, how am I going to use these cells? When am I going to use these cells? And how fast can I use these cells? And so there's always a sense of urgency, like we do like our immediate gratification. But, you know, stem cells is something that also people have heard about for a while, right? They say the stem cells have been around for decades why don't we have treatments that are saving lives or making us look younger immediately accessible in every every location around the globe but you know they are complicated therapies to deliver on and safety is a major concern when you start to include safety things take time but i i do compare this in some ways to other technologies and the acceleration of those technologies And, and a good example is flight right the wright brothers discovered flight in the early you know 1903 or 1906, I can't remember right off the top of my head right now, but you know, they traveled a hundred feet. It was not very, very useful technology, certainly very exciting uh, and a massive leap forward, but it wasn't going to deliver a service to people. It actually would take almost five decades for the first plane to take a passenger across the Atlantic Ocean. So think about the progress, the additional developments, the tools, the validity, the safety, all of those things around flight that were developed before we could actually do something for passengers, right, and actually deliver on a service. But then think about it, ten years after that first passenger was flown across the Atlantic, we'd achieve supersonic flight.
0: yeah, that's so it ex- really accelerates kind of exactly. growth there, isn't it yeah
1: And that's where we're at right now, right? We're starting to carry passengers across the Atlantic the next 10 years, stem cells will be supersonic.
0: No, oh, that's, a, that's a great way of looking at it. Okay, so I'm almost 58. Let's say I bank my cells today. What, what sorts of, and you alluded to this early on in our conversation, but what sorts of things might we imagine would be available to me 20, 30 years down the road, say, when I would need some of these things? I mean, as opposed to what's coming in the immediate future, what do you see a couple decades out? I know that's a long time to speculate with the type of growth we were just talking about, but what sorts of things, exciting things, do you see on the horizon for this technology?
1: So it's pretty broad. I think that, you know, very quickly here, we're going to see treatments for skin, um, especially in anti-aging and regeneration. So like regrowing hair, rejuvenating skin. When you start talking about in the, you know, the decades to come, I think our imagination can get... Uh, you know, pretty wide. Right now in our lab, we have a multitude of grant-funded research projects with some of the top institutions across Canada to take a hair follicle cell and turn it into neurons, pancreas cells, kidney cells. In fact, one of the most recent studies that we're working on in the pancreas is taking a hair follicle, reprogramming it to behave like an embryonic stem cell, so that magic moment when sperm meets egg and that cell can become anything and then pushing them down different pathways, including the pancreas, which we've done. So those types of things, given another decade or two, we could see the ability to grow enough cells to really create an entirely new pancreas. And I think with additional solutions like vascularization, which some groups have made massive progress on, we could really be thinking about creating organs in a lab on demand. I, I do not think that that is, Unreasonable. I think that we'll be seeing that in our lifetimes for sure. The trick is, are we going to benefit from it? Right? Where are, will all our cells be the proper health to actually deliver us benefit? And so down the road, regrowing cartilage, resurfacing joints, regrowing organs, giving yourself uh, routine injections of younger cells to keep, you know, to slow down aging and even in anti aging in some areas, all of those things, I think it will be accessible.
0: It's yeah, pretty wild, I know. It, that's fun to think about. Yeah, I mean, just because the future is coming at us so fast and we see it in the, just the way technology is accelerating and certainly all yeah. this Well, not a lot of people
1: know because this stuff happens in kind of, you know, labs that are for the public underground, right? Like you don't really have a lot of insights to them. But there have been groups in Tel Aviv that have taken skin cells, like we do, they've turned them into cardiomyocytes and then recreated a miniature human heart that has the ability to beat group down in Texas have solved vascularization so they can actually create the vascularization within a heart. You start to combine these technologies and we are not far off from being able to create body parts on demand. It's really coming extremely fast. We have 3D printers that now can print with cells and extracellular matrix. There's a group up here in Canada in Vancouver doing that, that those very tasks. So as these things progress in all of these different areas, when you start combining them, they're solving a lot of major hurdles that we have to really be cre- to create these things on demand. So the question would be, what is the currency for an individual to have access to it? Technology's here, but how do I access it? It's going to be your cells, right? We are not manufacturing drugs, chemical compounds in a laboratory, and it's just the purity of of the chemicals that we have to worry about. We're actually leveraging cells to deliver on those benefits, to create that organ. And so the quality of the cells that we have access to becomes a limiting factor on what we can deliver on.
0: Wow. Okay. So that is very, very eloquently put. So the future may not, I mean, there'll be a place for medicine and pills and powders and whatnot. Absolutely. But what you're saying, though, is that as opposed to medicine i suppose the way we know it the new medicine may be ourselves our cells is that i mean that sounds like where you're going right and the fact that it's Mm -hmm. not that far off that we might be able to imagine taking banked cells from a hair follicle and actually producing an entire organ is just fascinating yeah it's just amazing
1: it's It's, it's pretty wild, but there's so many stepping stones in between, right? (laughs) Like we don't even have to, (laughs) we don't even have to from a pluck of my
0: hair to (laughs) an organ, right?
1: Yeah. But I, I even think like there's so many steps in between of delivering value, right? Because we don't have to give you back your younger cells in the lab. Your younger cells can act as a resource to produce things that you're becoming deficient in like collagen, like growth factors. And they're your own manufactured by your own cells and so even the idea of thinking of supplementing with drugs or or different factors to enhance your health you can be doing that on demand from your own cells so there there are some even access points earlier and one of one of the pieces of work that that we're doing right now is to accomplish that very thing for your skin health to use your cells as a resource to create this wellspring of all of these elements that we need for skin health and be able to deliver them to us without the need of waiting for long-term trials, leveraging stem cells. So delivering value much quicker. And so I think that, you know, we're really thinking about these cells as being a resource for now as well as later.
0: Okay, you know, I I love this conversation. This is so much fun. All right, I I have so many questions. So what about my cells versus someone else's cells? Or say, Mm -hmm. I've got a 25-year-old son. He's got some, he's got probably some great youthful cells are they any good to me? Are they good to a stranger? How does that work? I, I mean, I, from a layman's point of view, it seems like my own cells would be best for me. But is that necessarily true?
1: So I would say, yes, you're going to want your own cells. That is absolutely, by far and away, the best possible outcome that you can have is that you've got an access to your own healthy cells to leverage. And the reason is, is because when you start to introduce foreign cells into your body, a lot of bad things can happen. For one, we put you on immunosuppressants. So we take your immune system and we bring it way down so that you don't attack and kill off those foreign cells because you're trying to use them to help you. There are a lot of complications with putting somebody on immunosuppressants and taking away their immune A common cold, you're not able to fight it off anymore. It turns to pneumonia and much worse. So there are risks to doing those things. Also, I'm sure everybody's heard about finding a match, right? Finding a match from a donor. Well, we need to really make sure that, in advance, we're trying to eliminate all the most possibilities of you rejecting those cells by trying to find the closest match to you, and even your son is only half you, right? So it's not going to be a perfect match, and in all of the methods, even from family members, we still use immunosuppressants, regardless of how good of a match is. So when we think about eliminating those risks by using your own cells is a major advantage, but also for I think a lot of people waiting on a donor list to find that match, they may not have that time. Right? Right, <laughs> But we may have the time to make you an organ right away or we create a solution for you, right? So I think that there are some major advantages, but then also when you start to think of, we're not worried about saving your life. Let's just think about delivering you benefit right now. We're not going to put a foreign person's cells into your body and risk immune rejection or something worse for regrowing your hair or rejuvenation of your skin it's just not worth it so th- for those types of areas we're really going to be re- relegated to just asking the question do you have access to your own cells and that will be where we deliver the value in those areas because we're not going to go down a path of risking health for for things that are a little more superficial
0: no, that, that makes perfect sense. If it's a life-threatening situation, then your, your tolerance for risk goes way up. But to your point, that little bald patch I have on the back of my head, it's, it can stay bald as opposed to <laughs> yeah. taking on some, some of the risks that you're talking about there. So let's say that I'm interested in this and maybe I'm interested in it for me or for my children. If you're comfortable having a conversation around cost, all of this sounds very, very high-tech and, frankly, expensive. Do you mind Mm -hmm. talking to us a little bit about what we might expect in terms of long-term costs for this sort of therapy yeah so that's
1: that's a a a great question and and i'm pretty excited to say it's fairly accessible i mean we're we're absolutely doing our best to make sure that it's accessible to everybody after all we are from canada (laughs) originally so ultimately access to these things is very important to us um it depends on which clinic you go to some clinics are a little bit more high-end than others But you're looking at sub $1,000 to get your cells banked, which is pretty great when you start to think about what the costs were for people and celebrities trying to go in and access bone marrow and other things, right? That that was the previous option. And then also we keep those cells stored for you at negative 196 degrees Celsius in a very secure environment. And so the ongoing fees for storage start at sub $200. And we've got family plans so that households can get banked together and save a lot of money really on doing this together as a family. Because one thing I know for sure, if I went out and banked myself for the future and then I came home, my wife and three kids would be sitting there saying, what about us? Right. So I'd, I'd, I'd be on the couch. So we, we do offer some awesome family plans as well, which are really popular.
0: And when you say $200 for banking, that's got to be a recurring fee. Is that a, is that a monthly fee? Yearly. An annual fee. Okay. So yeah. there you go. That That's what I was trying to get at. This, it really is something that's targeted towards consumers, people like me and not. Um, Look,
1: if you can afford Stranger Things, you can afford to pay yourself.
0: I saw that on your website. If you can afford yeah. to pay for, for Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Netflix or, you know. Netflix. It, that's right. Yeah. So this is that. Well, and that just goes to show what a long way we've come, right? I mean, we have this procedure, this plucking procedure. That's just a one-time procedure. That doesn't sound too terribly complex, although I'm sure there's more to it. And then, of course, they've got to get these cells and transport them to you. And you guys have got to make sure they're viable cells. So there's a lot that goes on there. But for this long-term cryogenic storage, which sounds like Jetson's things to me, Hmm. is just amazing that I can have that for fairly low cost, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. That really is amazing. Well, let, let me ask you this, Drew. You hinted around at some things that you guys have coming around the corner what's next first? What's next for Acorn? I mean, where do you see this going? I mean, we've alluded to some of these technologies and where it's going to grow, but what do you see your, how do you see your company growing? What's well, next right now guys?
1: it's a fairly young company, mm-hmm. right? The technology goes back years, right? But actually offering this um, publicly is is fairly new. We just launched in Canada this year, right? So, okay. and we're pretty early on in the year. So the first patients we brought through clinics uh, happened in fact We've already started to um, bring on doctors in California and a few other spots throughout the U.S. And so for us, really, it's about setting up the processing facilities to make sure that we're able to take patients through and and bank their cells. We have had a bunch of, there's a lot of U.S. people that are banked in our facility. One that even flew in, got their cells banked and flew right back out. So I guess they were pretty excited to hear about us and wanted it done right away, and I don't blame them they had the ability to do that, but we're, we're coming, we're coming very quickly. So I think the best thing that people can do is, is sign up to, uh, to the wait list. Cause you'll get notified as soon as there's a facility open in your area that you can go to and get it done or a clinic that uh, we've partnered with to do it.
0: Okay. So listeners, if you don't happen to be in Canada, you might want to go in that website. Again, it was acorn.me. Acorn.me. That's right. Acorn.me. Yeah. And what about yourself personally? What's, what's on the horizon for you?
1: So look, I'm really excited about some of the the work that we're doing to actually bring some of the treatments to fruition. So I'm spending a lot of my time really working on some of these early treatments, mostly in skincare and a lot of them in aesthetics. But it is an amazing opportunity for people to leverage their cells in the very near term. I think that there is a tremendous amount of benefit that can be delivered to some people by helping them with skin conditions, discoloration issues, aging issues... There's opportunities to use these cells, I think, in scar information and a whole bunch of other things to help people that might be struggling with some appearance things in their skin. But then also beyond that, wound healing, diabetic foot ulcers, like actually being able to try to heal open wounds much faster with a better stock of cells so that they actually get back to close skin very quickly, which is a a huge problem.
0: Okay, yeah. So it sounds like an exciting time for you guys. You've got this technology up where you're now collecting and storing this material, but you're also sounds like developing applications for it as well. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we're working on the things internally, and sometimes we have external partners that we've joined together with to deliver on them. We're working, for instance, the project on recreating neurons from the hair follicles done with the National Research Council. Creating pancreas cells and kidney cells is with Mount Sinai Hospital, and we have projects with University of Toronto, McGill University, some some of the top institutions across Canada. And we started to talk to groups in the U.S. and uh, conversations uh, to date have been pretty exciting. And all I can say is we're going to be there very soon.
0: That's, that is very exciting. Well, Drew, how can people connect with you? We already gave them your website. Are there other, are you guys on social media or available places?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm on social media. I'm not good at it, but I'm on it. So You can find me there. I think my handle on Instagram is Dr. Drew Taylor. You can find Acorn Biolabs on every channel you can imagine. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever your your choice is, we're there. So just Google Acorn Biolabs or search Acorn Biolabs and you'll find us.
0: Okay, great. And folks, I'll drop all of that information into the show notes for this episode. You can find that there. Well, Drew, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all of this exciting information with us and sharing your passion for this with us. And I just want to wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. I think what you're doing is fantastic and so exciting.
1: No, thank you so much. I I really appreciate you bringing me on to share uh, all our hard work. And yeah, thank you so much. Fan of the show. Now excited to be on it.
0: Okay, folks, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. You can find all the links to the resources we discussed in this episode over at silveredgefitness.com episode 115. And you can continue the conversation over there as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on today's show. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I also want to let you know that if you've enjoyed this podcast, I have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find guides with my top tips on exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you in your health and wellness journey. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, and until next time, stay strong.